Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters podcast. This is episode 111. You got Chris and Brian, and today we're going to talk about shooting handguns in the dark um, on snowy terrain, um, using cover, uh, different color presentations for the targets based on how well they silhouetted and whatnot against backstop. Um, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, guys, we had a we we basically set up a couple points of cover that allowed for allowed for vertical dispersion. Um, you know, whether you're kneeling, standing, prone out, or whatever, um, working vertical cover on either side, um, and then from two different locations, and then with a couple of steel plates downrange. The steel plates were those half size or quarter size? Quarter size. Quarter size uh, steel silhouettes downrange, um, and we were basically giving everybody an opportunity to. Um, address cover and address each target from a point of cover from different positions and then move to the other point of cover and shoot from different positions on, you know, steel plates, multiple hits, etc. Um, this is not anything new and nor is it anything particularly high speed. It was just a lot of extra reps. Um, the fact that it happened in low light, I think, you know, obviously this time of year is advantageous for us to get to use lights. Yeah, we had about, um, there wasn't really any cloud cover and we had about two-thirds of a moon yeah so there was definitely enough ambient light um and one of the targets the way the targets ended up being set up on the backstop one of the targets had snow behind it so it was fairly well silhouetted the other target was not um and and so but it was also painted a weird color that was like that was like it had been pink pink or something something like that yeah so so anyway so both targets were were i would say were no light seeable you could see them with no light um the choice to use you know a weapon light to id that target to confirm that it was a shoot target you know obviously we're not painting guns on them or painting threat on them or anything like that um but the targets were were very visible um most of this i would say you're you know if you were at one point of cover shooting the close target 15 17 yards and if you were at the point of cover shooting the you know the diagonal target cross range maybe pushing out to 18 or 20 yards um, yeah, yeah, at, at the there. most, at the most. Um, and so, you know, like I said, not not like super difficult shooting. Uh, it was a lot more about addressing cover properly, using the light properly, not blinding yourself with the light, um, not leaving the light on, and then some of the tactics around just where you should be around cover and that those type of tactics conversations or skills conversations um, both. And so we were trying to integrate those things, and then we pushed into – um, you know, some of the left hand, right hand, um, strong hand only, weak hand only, etc. addressing those same targets. Um, I would say that this, I, I think I shot about maybe 150 rounds. I actually shot a fair amount because I shot a few extra yeah. times on some of the targets. Um, so a, a relatively low round count night. Um, I can't believe I'm saying 150 rounds. You know, people are were worried about how much we're shooting. These are all drills you could do with the movement being the primary concern, use of cover being a primary concern, um, and then use of the light being a primary concern, and then the shooting is very much a secondary thing in this. These are all fairly easy hits. So, you know, a a lot of it was more about, again, skills and movement and tactics than it was about necessarily pulling the trigger. So, It'd be really easy to run through this multiple times dry to refine using the light, using cover, um, all of those kinds of things before running this hot absolutely uh, and we kind of did that because we started out with just one round per yeah. per target per position um did that for a couple evolutions and then went into actually doing cult hammer pairs or repeated like two hits yep to um where the the goal is not a double tap but the goal is two consecutive hits on the target um, in a fairly rapid fashion yeah uh, through, still, really getting, haven't still getting three sight pictures yeah still getting three sight pictures versus a hammer should be two sight pictures, two shots. It should be the original sight picture, 
bang, bang, and then a sight picture for follow-up versus this was just two rapid shots, but sight picture in between as well, yeah. finding that front sight again. Because, again, you're at a far enough distance where I, I think most of us are chasing our front sight from a skill-level perspective at 20 yards on a half size, yeah. so our quarter size. Um, yeah, the, the guys, it was snowing and slippery as hell. Um, little, little bit of a little bit of a movement conversation. Um, the beautiful thing about while snow can get packed down and be slippery, um, it can also be nice and soft. So when you biff or take a knee, it's a lot easier on old bodies. Uh, but anyway, we were out in the snow doing it up. Um, somebody had been on the range before us, so it was packed down pretty good, um, which was kind of nice, except for the slickeriness. Um, I, th- there are definitely some things that. Even though this is really fundamental, basic stuff, there were some things that were reminders that kind of that kind of reared their ugly heads. Uh, we talk a lot about not crowding cover. Um, when you're talking about a a pillar type piece of cover or a column type piece of cover, something that's not real big, um, you may be very well served to crowd that cover from a perspective of somebody's flanking you. And we had two targets downrange, and they were separated. There was a fair amount of of separation between the targets probably 15 yards between them yeah i mean so you had to move a decent amount so you could you could kind of light up one target make your hits and then light up and make it and hit the second target um but but as far as where you need to be on cover if you were back off of cover and not crowding cover you were probably exposed to the other target so a little bit of it was getting up close and that's and there's a reminder there if you're using a light um not i'm not saying crowding cover so much as using cover so you're not bouncing light off of the cover and blinding yourself and 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 i use the term blinding yourself loosely um i I, again i don't really see that as being a real big issue if you get more light than you need then turn your damn light on and address the target because it'll overpower whatever spots you were seeing there for a second and press on um and i know there's you know there's some conversations around that i'm still the mindset having been doing a lot of low light over the last I don't know, 10 years, yeah. um, you know, you're well, probably more like 15, 16 years, year round doing a fair amount of low light. Lights weren't as bright until here fairly recently, maybe the last five, six, seven years. Um, having done a lo- lot of low light, I, I'm still not at a place where I found a light yet that's too much light that fits on a gun or fits in my pocket every single day. So I don't think we're there yet, personally. I would agree. Yeah. Um, so basically, guys, we were addressing the point of cover, making a couple hits, uh, on on whatever would be the tactically appropriate target, the first one visible as you pie the corner or pied your cover, um, and then working on to the second um, the second plate uh, as a secondary target. We watched some guys handle this a little bit differently, and in some cases, personally, I think I handled this wrong a couple of different times. Um, one of our guys uh, has a a serious martial arts background and a law enforcement background, and is. Is, is aggressive. He's, he's solidly trained. He's very well skilled and he's aggressive. And in a couple different times, it was like, if you're going to pop out and engage the first target, but then pop back behind cover, you should not be coming out at the same place. What's the, the blossom of the death? Crim- or, crimson blossom of there death. There you go. There you Pat go. Mack. Yeah. And, and I, and, and I, I, I know that this is like, it's like one of the freaking Ten Commandments. It's, it's, it's one of those things you really want to be inviolable. Um, and I found myself the first couple of times popping out, shooting, moving back behind, then popping out, shooting from the same place. And at some point I'm, I'm like subconsciously going, you can't do that. You can't physically pop out at the same place twice. I'm not expecting to get domed. Yeah. So that was one of the things that I think probably was one of those reminders tactically. If you're not shooting in the dark, you're not using cover, you're doing new things. There's a very, very, very fundamental aspect to what are you doing and make sure that you're following those gross fundamentals tactically speaking, because I just walked away from him for a minute or two, and that's horrible 
that's not just bad. That's a really, really bad thing. Yeah, I'd so, say I think pretty much everyone but two of us did that. Yeah, I would agree with that at least once or twice. Um, you know, I, I, I think like um, you and Mac J, um, and and Brian were were like the guy, the only you know the, the other three of us I think were popping out the same place, but it, it, at least part of the way through, and then we're kind of like, okay, wait a minute, that's not the right way to be doing that. Um, so again, why we're on the range as much as we're on the range is because you get these kind of reminders where you sit back in an after action with a beer in your hand, waiting for the best chicken sandwich ever, um, giving somebody grief about their drop leg holster, even though it's actually appropriate for the clothing they're wearing. There's your nod. Still love you. Um, but anyway, so, you know, there's this thing going on where you sit back and, and you, you kind of in the back of your head, it's going, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. And then somebody reminds you of it in the, in the after action and says, Hey, I saw some of this. And it was like, Hey, as, as we train with each other, we talk all the time about being somebody's rabbi. And the whole point of being out on the range is, is for safety is to have extra people around. It's more entertaining. It's more fun to train with your buddies, but also it's a safety, a safety, presence someone's there with you to mm-hmm. keep an eye on what you're doing make sure you're doing everything correctly but then also from a training perspective to be the guy who says hey you just went out from cover twice in the same place if you see your buddy doing something that's not tactically sound throw a snowball at him throw a handful of small gravel at him yell at him say hey you just popped out the same place twice um crimson blossom of death i, I yeah. can't say that that fast i don't know why so um i want to do my crimson blossom of death like pat back but uh, it's not coming out right so anyway so those were just a couple of things that popped up around this that ended up making what was a really, really simple, fundamental, good reps training night turned into a, um, damn, just kind of jumped into that without enough thought. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and I don't, and when you stated like what you wanted out of the course of fire, I was full potato the first time you said it. I did not hear it for whatever reason and did it wrong to begin with, but then also did it tactically incorrect too. So I, I don't know. I, I, I liked that aspect of kind of coming back to make sure you're doing the right things right. Yeah. Without belaboring the point more. Or, or. Something like that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, one other thing a couple people noticed is they were wearing gloves or light gloves. Actually kind of light gloves, but had messed up the um, their grip on the gun enough to where they were chasing the dot, chasing the front sight a little bit. Um. Yeah, I I was running no gloves. I had my tactical muff with a hand warmer in it. Yeah, and that worked out very well. Um, I think most most guys were running more of that kind of setup. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was about half and half. About half of us yeah. were wearing were wearing gloves. Um, and, and I think the intent, you know, for these nights for us is, you know, yeah, you're going to be out on the range for a couple hours, and and there and like I said, there was literally it was 20 mile an hour winds. Uh, it was even though it was only 32, 34 degrees. It was, it was cold. Windy. It was yeah. cold because of the wind and damp because the humidity was pushing 90%. Um, you know, so it, it was one of those conversations where how do I walk around the world? I don't walk around the world with my tactical muff on. Um, but, you know, even even though, you know, you're not allowed to, what, what, what do they call them, Air Force gloves in the Army when you put your hands in your pocket? Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're not allowed to put your hands in your pocket. Um, that's, that's big Army stupid. Um, that's big military stupid. You put pockets on shit to put things in and when it's cold out your hand should go in them um getting frostbite because um some freaking first sergeant thinks it looks sloppy for you to have your hands in your pocket is retarded and being able to pick up a gun and shoot quickly um you know and if you shoot better without gloves and you don't actually need them in that environment then don't don't wear gloves and at the same time don't don't be stupid 
Um, if it's crazy cold out and you're going to be out in it for a significant period of time, like one of our LE guys, um, when he's outside in those kind of clothes and it's cold out, he puts gloves on because he's going to be outside for an extended period of time and maybe doing something like directing traffic, maybe yeah. doing something like taking a report or writing something down that he can do in gloves. So why not, you know, so why not wear the gloves and train with them appropriately? And that was something that kind of popped up a little bit. Uh, I was wearing real lightweight OR like liner gloves, had no problems at all with that. Um, I know that, you know, the heavier gloves, like the OR gloves that are insulated, yeah. I definitely find squishing around with those is a little bit of a conversation. But if it's cold enough to warrant it, it's something you're going to have to fight through. Right. Or dump the glove on the ground, do whatever you got to do, and then go back and pick it up later. However it works out, right? Yeah. So, Just, yeah. You know, when you're doing dry fire, um, doing training, you know, realize that you know, yeah. if, if you don't ever train with gloves on, try putting your gloves on. Yeah. Um, figure out which ones work, you know, with your handgun. Um, before you actually need to use it for real. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if you got big, thick, insulated gloves, trying to get the trigger finger inside the trigger guard can yeah. be a challenge. Absolutely. Uh, especially with, you start getting into like ski level gloves. Yep. Or, or uh, just a lot of brown cotton jersey gloves. Um, you know, I yeah. used to, I did that when I was a kid. I had somebody say, hey, you know, um, if you want to work on, you know, the advantage of how tactile the gun is without, you know, barehanded, put on a set of clumsy gloves and try and run dry fire drills or live fire drills safely, you know, with a set of gloves. At the time, I, you know, as a kid, as a farm kid, I had brown cotton gloves laying around, and so I'd throw those on. And I don't know if that's necessarily – I'd want to hear from some of the guys that are trainers if you're actually getting anything out of that. But I know that when I took the gloves off, it felt way better running the gun. So I don't know if I drug anything forward with that so much as just an ability to overcome a little less grip in a little less tactile sensation from the gun, feedback from yeah. the gun. So I don't know if those are good things or not. I would want to hear from somebody who's a trainer who's maybe looked into that a little deeper than I have because I don't feel like I have the depth for that. So Yeah, one thing I have noticed, um, taking other friends to the range, um, if you have wool mittens or wool gloves, like the, the quarter finger style yeah. with the flip over thing, yeah. like they have up in Maine, um, those are horrible for shooting pistols because they're extremely slippery. Yeah. Um, you really want some kind of you know, call it leather palm or high friction palm yeah. and fingers um, to be able to get a secure grip on the gun. Yeah, so that it's not going to slip slide around. Wool, wool is amazing for a lot of different things. Holding on to stuff is not one of them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it definitely will slip slide around. So, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of some other things that I got out of this. But, I mean, it was a fundamental thing. Um, running the gun left-handed with a dot, with a light. Um, I run a DG switch. On when I run a light, um, almost exclusively. That's probably going to change a little bit here over the next couple months. But right now, and I've run a DG switch forever. Um, had I, I don't have a lot of issues staying off the DG switch and staying off the light when I don't want to be when I don't want the light on. Um, but I did find going lefty um, definitely a little more of a conversation around managing the DG switch as well as trying to find the dot left hand one hand only. Um, I found that I ended up becoming a staying right eye dominant and just rolling the gun over. Um, didn't have a lot of problems with that, but that was something that I hadn't done enough of with the dot yeah. since I've been running one. Um, and the reality check is I don't know that it was necessarily any slower than just running iron sights left hand, one hand only, only because I've got a tritium front sight on the irons or tritium front sights. And a couple times I found myself not using the dot, just using the irons because that's what I picked up first going left handed. Yeah. Um, so there's a big nod for if you are running a dot optic on your handgun, having suppressor height sights as backups. Um, if, you know, if you're in that weird position, sometimes that would, most of that was like off a knee or kneeling 
So it was a little bit odd in the snow because I think I was like kind of in a hole with one leg and not with the other. So kind of a contorted body position. But I found that when I brought the gun up and, and the dot wasn't exactly where I wanted to find, find the front sight, chase the front sight, squeeze the trigger and go on. And it was really no yeah. big deal. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I was running a G17 with the Holosun 507CX2 um, circle dot reticle. Yep. Yeah. And found that with the two-minute presentation, it was right there when I wanted it. Yeah. Uh, single-handed presentation. Uh, I need to do some homework. A little less so. Yeah, a little less so. Yeah, uh, and, I, and, I, and I, we had another we had another friend that yeah. you know his his experience. He's been you know working a lot. You know, hundred press outs a day. You know, working to to get better with presentation with a dot. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I just got to keep doing it. Um, yeah, there's you know, the, a the, the reps and the presentation with the dot so that it comes up where you want it versus yeah. having to kind of circle the the gun around to pick up that dot. It becomes important. Yeah, one of the, uh, and, and I can't remember where I heard this, so I'm going to apologize, but I think this is a Jed Linsky thing, um, a Modern Samurai Project thing, yeah. but one of the one of the tips, one of the like kinesthetic reminders is bringing the backplate of the slide up to your nose and pressing out rather than bringing the backplate of the slide up between your eyes and pressing out um, because the optic sits just a skosh higher. Um, and so that was one of the things I remember hearing, and like that visual aspect of, getting the gun up and out and, and getting it maybe just a little lower than you're used to on your press out. It, it just takes some reps, I think. And once you're there, you're there. Um, and then from a standpoint of, you know, if you do go back to irons, when you press out, if you know, it's really easy to pick up the idea that the gun's a little lower than normal. And as you drive into the shot, bring it up to where it needs to be and go on. I don't yeah. think, I don't feel like I'm losing at my skill level, uh, which is not phenomenal. I don't feel like I'm losing anything going back and forth between the two. I feel like I'm probably losing more going from the irons to the dot until I'm used to it and running it for a while than I am going back to the irons. So all the guys out there, you know, that bouncing around thing is really, I don't think it's that big a deal, personally. Yeah, yeah so, I would agree. Yeah, so, um, and the reality check is, I still think you should not have used your irons. Um, on a rifle, there's always a conversation about that. You know, the irons are your backup. Um, knowing how to use the dot is probably a lot bigger deal with a rifle than it is with a pistol. But, you know, that's just me right now. Maybe that'll change yeah, at some point. Yeah, I will say, you know, everybody that was running a dot very much enjoyed running their dot yeah. in their hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on that target that was in front of the nice, clean snow background, uh, for most of the night, you really didn't have to light it up with a light. Yeah. Uh, especially with the dot. It was just like, oh, there's the plate. I can put the dot on it, and yeah. I can hit it with no problem. Yeah. And, and even, you know, and even the other target, the nice thing about the dot is – you're not focused on the front sight, you're focused on the target, and you're superimposing the dot on the target. So even if you had poor contrast coming onto the target, you could still follow like the vertical post up and make the yeah. shot. So there were some things that presented itself like that. I, you know, again, I don't think the dots necessarily, I, I think it's a great addition to any gun just like it is on a rifle. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily the be-all, end-all, or a necessary thing, but I do think it's, it's, an, it's an advantage. I don't know if I'll go as far as force, force multiplier, but I think it's probably a force multiplier even. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, like I said, there were definitely some things like that that popped up. That's, it just, every time I shoot the dot after not, after not doing low light stuff, especially, and then going into low light, I'm always reminded that, man, I really, really like the dot. Or anytime you get into shooting B8s and stuff like that, it's like, okay, this is almost like cheating. Um, and if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And if yeah. You're, if you're not first, you're last, I, I, all those, tricks, you know, uh, good Lord willing, give it 110%. Yeah. You know, yeah. So all those things from Bull Durham or whatever. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
I would say lights. Pretty much everybody's running X three hundred ultras. Um, one or two guys. A couple guys running five oh sevens or um or not five oh sevens. TLR seven TLR seven A's. Yeah, we got a couple guys running TLR seven A's. I, I I honestly at those kind of distances, 30, 40 yards and in, I don't I don't think the TLR seven A is any disadvantage at all. Um, it's a lot of light. It it does what it's supposed to do. Um, it's got a good hot spot with a fair amount of spill. At about 30 to 40 yards is where you start seeing it kind of peter out. You start yeah. losing that hard contrast on targets and the ability to ID things quite as well. I know that as we got back, we did the walk back and got back to 40, 50 yards, all of a sudden there are some folks struggling. Yeah. Um, having said that, I don't think I turned my light on until we got back to 40 yards. Uh, I believe you are correct. Yeah. So, you know, there's that's how much contrast there was on that plate. So, and honestly, I don't know if the light would have been helpful or not. So, because I totally mashed the crap out of the trigger at 50. So that's embarrassing, but it happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so takeaways, um, use cover appropriately. Don't cheat yourself on the training. Do the things you know you're supposed to do. Don't poke out from the same place twice. Don't expose three quarters of your body, even if it's allowed in IDPA. Um, you know, run the light appropriately. Uh, if it's if it's small cover, get close to it. Um, if you if you don't want light splashing back off of it, get the gun up next to the cover and use it appropriately. And then when you start doing other things like moving, you know, be careful with the gun. Um, try changing. Try. I still go back to your port position. That high port temple index. I don't care. You nobody gets all bent about temple index. I don't. Temple index probably has places, and it's probably one of those things I'll use situationally. But I just find that high port being extremely useful almost everywhere and allows you to move. So that was something I, you know, went back to because I tried a couple different things yeah. moving from position to position. So we had enough reps, and the port just seems to keep you balanced and keep your vision open to what you needed to be doing. So. Well, let's sure. So moving from the the cover positions were probably fifteen yards apart. Yeah. Um, so not really big enough of a distance to get to a full sprint, yeah. but enough of a distance that trying to move with haste was important. Sure. And so <laughs> we mentioned it was slippery. Yeah. Yeah. So having, you know, being with the gun at high port, so fing trigger finger high up on the slide. Yeah. Even, well away even from into the, the ejection port if possible. Um, yeah. You know, gun pointed in a, we'll call it a safe direction. Yeah. Um, Cause not pointed at anyone yep. or anything we did not want to destroy. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you just got a very balanced kind of natural movement position. Almost how you'd be it, if you were running. And it makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. Allows you to use your upper body to kind of compensate when your feet slip a little bit. Sure. Well, and like a couple of times I tried, you know, doing sole or doing something, you know, depressed muscle. Um, and I get that in certain environments you have to do that depending on what the range rules are and stuff like that. Um, but in this case, the ability to move with the gun in that position was just, again, just reiterating how much more natural it is. And, and again, then we talk about weapon retention and things of that nature, too. Um, I, I don't know. I just see that as superior to trying to do the Soul stuff. I mean, I think Soul gets misapplied in a lot of cases, and I think this was probably one of them. I felt like I was able to move, so yeah. I was digging that. So, yeah, like I said, a, a lot of – I don't think there was anything like, you know, anything like, holy cow, I learned something totally new. It was just back to that whole fundamentals, 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 crap, I'm not doing it right, mental note. And that was my takeaway for the night, which was something very, very simple and fundamental, in my opinion, was just a reminder of it. Yeah, being able to execute on the basics to perfection, yep. yeah. you know, cold and on demand is really important. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, there there weren't, there were more misses than there should have been, especially with this group, but there weren't that many misses. Um, you know, we got a group of guys who, in general, shoot pretty, pretty impressively. And I would say that the, if there, the, the misses were people trying out some different things or doing things a little bit different just to see how it works, 
um, especially lefty and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and 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 again, those misses were were super close misses. I'm sure. Or um, a lot of times they were. You know, can I hit the the dark tar- call it the dark target? Yeah, with no light. Without the light on. Yeah, without the light on. Yeah, and I do think there's some wisdom in that. I mean, at some point, if you know, if you if you can ID a target, you're at a good point of cover, and you've got eyeballs on somebody, and and that person's shooting at you or shooting at somebody they shouldn't be shooting at. Um, you know, there may be something to be said. I think there may be something to be said in, in a very small set of circumstances that you may not want to give away your position by blasting them with that light. Um, having said that, it, it, there's the argument about it's free and you want to confirm that target every single freaking time. And sometimes putting yourself at risk to do that means that's part of being the good guy. Yeah. So be better, be better than the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I will say on that point, you know, everybody was really good about, you know, flipping the light on, taking their shots, and then flipping the light off. back off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or if the light stayed on, it's because we were now searching, you know, continuously engaging that search for the second target. Or yeah, driving yeah, driving hard yeah. into that second target. That mentality of I already paid for the real estate. Um I'm not gonna give it back away. You know, so yeah. And again, I think that's a training thing. If that's how you've trained, if you're in that aggressive mode. And I think one of the points brought up was you know, are you, is this a very dynamic situation where we look at it from like a hostage rescue mindset or an in extremist mindset where you're, you are, you are barreling in on the threat and that's your push. So you're going to take risks that you wouldn't take in a slow search situation. Right. Right. And so the mentality is a little bit different. Um, and, and it would have been nicer to be a little more aggressive with a rifle in your hands than with a handgun. Yeah. But if you're going to do it, do it. And I would say the guys that were doing that were owning it. They're making the two shots and then moving really quickly and making the next two shots and not taking their sweet ass time pieing the corner with the light on. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. to come back out in the same place pieing the corner without the light would still have been bad because I did it. So really rankles me that I did. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. There. Cool. Oh uh, yeah. So the you know the other thing having enough contrast to be able to see most of the target you yeah. could you could really get the gun oriented. Yes. And oftentimes aimed on the target with the light off. Yeah. And then, you know, flipping the light on, confirming the target, confirming the sights. Yeah. Taking, I'd say, less than half a second for Agreed. pretty much everybody. Yeah. Uh, is like light comes on, bang, yeah. bang, light comes off. Uh, so, you know, knowing the switching on your lights, Yeah. Uh, whether that's the DG switch or, you know, am I using the momentary on the on either the 7A or the X300 Ultra. Yeah. Um, you know, knowing knowing the switchology on your light is important. Sure, absolutely, and I and I didn't see anybody struggling with that aspect of it. I think I think everybody's got that pretty squared away. Um, I will say that there was a nod again. Um, you know, talking to Mac J, uh, running a tritium front sight only, and and not being, you know, he's got enough muscle memory or muscle index or kinesthetic awareness, whatever you want to call it, to have the gun in a really good position before he blasts that light and not be too concerned about it. Um, that's one of the reasons that I still really like three dot sights. I can line up the sights before I do anything with the light. Um, and same thing with the dot, you know, I can line up the dot, get it where I want it and then blast the light. And if you're not running a dot, that is my argument over and over and over again for three dot sights is that you can have the sight lined up in the general direction of the target. Uh, if you know that it's a target, you're confirmed you're going to shoot and you want to take that one last blast of light you're generally there before you go on it versus not having that index. Yeah. So I'll still maintain that that is my argument for three dots versus a single dot or whatever. So, but yeah. And I think that confirmed itself again last night when I went lefty. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. I don't think I have anything else to add. I think we beat this horse half to death. Yeah. Cool. 
Cool. All right. Uh, yeah, as long as they let us stick around. We're on Facebook and Instagram as we get new things in at the store. Um, that's where they get posted. Uh, so please do give us a follow on that. You may need to turn on notifications or try to get, get them to be a little bit more aggressive and bring us to the top of your feed um, as the, the commie bastards in big tech have changed their algorithms. Um, it seems like maybe we've gotten pushed to the back a little bit. Yeah. Um, so do be aware of that. Um, we also do an email newsletter once a week. You can sign up for that on our website, capcityoutfitters.com, or drop us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com. We will happily add you to the newsletter. Uh, please visit our website for important information on things like how to do an FFL transfer, along with a link to our portal at silencershop.com. If you're looking for suppressors and things, kind of also outlines the process for that on our website. Lastly, please come visit us at the store. We're in Hilliard, Ohio. 4465 Cemetery Road. We are right in front of Aldi's and directly next to Louis Fusion Drill. Um, be aware we are running um, hours 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday. And we are trying to keep it you know, somewhat manageable from a crowd perspective so that we can social distance and do all the things to keep um, Daddy DeWine happy. Yeah, if you peek inside and all the mini mics are occupied, then you know maybe give us just a minute. So, And if you stop in, you know what that means. So yeah. th thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you soon.